right. So thanks so much, everybody, for joining tonight. I know a lot of you have asked um, about the Book of Enoch, and there's a lot of questions about it and some controversy. And this is the book that actually got me really excited to start reading the Bible back in 2017. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Mom life. Um, and actually, when I read the book of Enoch, it wasn't anything like I thought it would be uh, what I had heard, you know, all these bad things about it. And then I read it and it was just totally different than what people were saying. So um, I actually joined a uh, iron uh, sharpens iron group on Facebook and it's just such an incredible community of believers and people that inspire me every day and I believe that's how I met both of you um, and so I just kind of wanted to go over some of the um, controversy around the book of Enoch and I know that you guys are well studied on this book so if you want to introduce yourself and maybe just share a quick testimony and what got you interested in it and Absolutely, sister. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. It's, uh, as you said, it's a very, very fascinating book. Um, it can seem extremely foreign if you read it without having the context of what we would consider the 66 books of our, our current canon here in the Western tradition. Um, but as Sean and I have uh, discovered af after years of testing it and, and just sharpening, as you said, in the same group, the uh, Facebook group for Flat Earth, Sharpeneth Flat Earth, um, we started to realize just how much um, information the Book of Enoch contains that is very, very pertinent for um, the life of a believer who wants to understand, you know, what the will of the Father is and what's, you know, what the scriptures really talk about in terms of things that can seem rather vague, that can seem like you get these little snippets in the Book of Genesis and, you know, along the timeline that seem like they just skim over some information where it would appear they're would be more information that would be needed to understand the context. And that's mm -hmm. where books like Enoch come into play and they elaborate in greater detail on some of these events. So my name, brothers and sisters, is Ken Heiderbrecht. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Hang On His Words right up here. Four words, hanging on his words. And uh, I'm a believer in God of the Bible. Um, I've been a Christian pretty much since I was a baby. I was born and raised in a a Christian home, went to church pretty much all my life. Um, definitely didn't live the, the, the good Christian lifestyle for many years, uh, specifically my, my teen years when I kind of did the, the rebellion stage in my life. But um, in my early to mid-20s, I started to realize that um, there's more to my faith than what I had been taught growing up in, in mainstream church environments. So I... Uh, I I end up moving out east. I live in Canada, Nova Scotia right now, but I was born and raised in Ontario. And uh, I started a job as a paramedic here in 2011. And just the, the job itself and what I was seeing was making me really question what, you know, what is God all about, really? Like, um, it just made me question and get down on my knees and, and beg him to reveal himself to me in a way that I had never been um, subjected to his truth all my life prior to that and he faithfully responded um by just essentially teaching me to start over with my faith to remove all you know things that i had been indoctrinated into and to just to test what it is that i even believe out and search out the matter right through diligently going through the scriptures and trying to comprehend them and so uh i came across sean griffin here uh, a couple years back he invited me into this the same group that you're in now megan 
And uh, it's been probably the best few years I've ever had in my life, just in terms of the amount of uh, testing and diligence that takes place in this group. I've never had exposure to that all my life, my 25, 26 years prior to that ever. And so, yeah, I've learned so much just in these fast six, seven years um, since kind of refurbishing my faith walk, I guess you could say. And Enoch, the book that Enoch faithfully um, scribed out for us plays a huge role for my understanding now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. And Sean and I have a, a show called Hang, or sorry, called Honor of Kings on Sean's channel, which Sean can elaborate on as he gives his testimony. Awesome. Cool, yeah, thank you, Ken. Um, I'm Sean Griffin, and um, I have a YouTube channel, Kingdom in Context, and we do a broadcast. We actually just finished season one of, of the show, Honor of Kings, and that we normally do that every Saturday night, uh, but we're on a small break right now because we're planning for season two. But um, that's the, the whole purpose of that show is what Ken was talking about, is we just look at some of these apocryphal books, some of these books that were taken out of the Bible in the last 140 years, and we test those books to the, the modern American canon of 66 and to see which ones hold up and which ones don't as far as we're, we're testing their content. So like we're going to talk about some of the content of the Book of Enoch today. What does it actually say in the book? Not, not what does a man over here at some university think it's legit or not. Like that, that doesn't have much bearing, you know, on what the actual book says itself. So if the book itself and the content written therein lines up with what's in the Bible, then we've got something to deal with, right? And that's what we've done with that show. We did full a full 13 episodes on Honor of Kings, uh, which people can find on, on my channel, Kingdom of Context, on the playlist, Honor of Kings. And we just study in the book of Enoch, just breaking down what the first 60 chapters, I think, Ken. Um, yeah. Is that what we went through? Yeah, and, and, so it, and it's the first 13 episodes of the 20 episodes on Honor of Kings, so... Yeah, that's right. So it's the initial 13 episodes. It's what we started the actual show with. And um, and it's it's grown in popularity. People really like it because they get to watch us on screen, test it line by line. And we take each chapter, you know, each episode, we take, you know, a few chapters and we would line them up to the American canon or see if they do or don't line up. And what we found was pretty amazing, uh, to be honest. But before we go into that too much, if, you know, people are wanting to know a little bit about my testimony as well. I My father was a pastor for many years and then he went off to he has a nonprofit organization now where he has orphanages in different countries. But I did grow up in the church as a result of that, both him as my pastor and then, you know, just continuing to go to church after that with other people as a pastor. But um, been in church all my life. OK, so we're talking like <laughs> is, you know, no breaks hardly at all. <laughs> so um, and this idea was I felt a lot like Ken, where you hear the same you hear the, the book presented from a very biased perspective, clearly, because you're in a church. And they're only using the books, the 66 books that we have in the modern American canon, which is only a collection of books that we've had for about 140 years. Um, but ultimately, uh, I was just saying that, you know, I grew up in church and, and a lot of people don't realize that um, how we actually got our Bible, where it actually came from. And there was actually some revisions made that nobody really asked for about 140 years ago. And so um, this Book of Enoch, though, was one of the books that was also found with some of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. And it's always been in the Ethiopian Eastern Orthodox canon for over 2,000 years. So they've, they've had this in their Bible for a long, long time before the Catholic Church was ever started. Because I know a lot of people who, um, 
who do not have not taken the time to study uh, where we got the Bible, and they just blame the Catholic Church for anything they don't like about Christianity or the Bible, right? But before the Catholic Church ever started, there was already a group of Levites who lived in Ethiopia who had their own collection of scriptures they called a Bible, and the Book of Enoch has been in it the whole time. Um, and this is why we see many of the epistle writers and even Jesus himself quoting from the Book of Enoch, because it was a common book that they had um, during that time as a part of their scrolls that they considered scriptures. So, but as we begin to test this book, we found some amazing things. Not only did it start to line up with the modern canon of 66, but it, it expounded on some things that, that, se that are seemingly like plot holes, you know, missing information gaps in the canon we have today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Um, and for those who are wondering, the Dead Sea Scrolls um, were essentially discovered starting, I believe it was in the late 1946, the late months, I think it was November, December-ish. There was, I think it was two Bedouin shepherds who were tending their flock out in um, the wilderness of Judea, nearing the Dead Sea. And they had come across these caves and i guess one of them was throwing stones in it or something and he heard some jars fall down and smash and he went and he saw these manuscripts and these and all these jars and stuff and so not to belabor the whole archaeological side of this which is important and and you know an area for people who are watching this should study and look into um one of the interesting things that i i thought is really interesting is that the book of enoch was i believe it was discovered in caves one and two um, out of all the scriptures that were found there, um, it was number it ranked number three in terms of how many copies were there. So we have all what's called the Hebrew writings were there, minus, I believe, the book of Esther and possibly Nehemiah. But there were over 100,000 fragments that were discovered within these 11 caves that eventually they, they found about 11 caves um, over the next couple of years as they started looking around in the caves to see if there were any more scrolls. And the book of Enoch was number three in terms of how many manuscripts were found there, which is wow. really interesting. Um, there was one that was, I believe, found in Aramaic in its, like, in its fullness um, that actually ended up getting sold um, to some private buyer or something like that back in 1950, I believe it was. So we don't have, unfortunately, we don't have access to the entire book of Enoch and, of, of what was written in the Aramaic. But um, How convenient, right? Yeah, exactly. If they find a book that would venerate so many things in scripture, but it's privately held and no one can view it. Yeah, it's it's really sad when you really look into the, you know that they've been selling it, and you can actually apparently you can buy some manuscripts for like thirty five thousand dollars or something like that, and it's just like it's it's pretty ridiculous. But so so what you're basically saying, Ken, is that even though some some people reject it because they may not understand some of the content that's in it. And, and, and what we found out, um, Megan, is that a lot of people, and we say this with much respect, but a lot of people reject the book of Enoch because when they read it, they, the way it's worded doesn't sound like, say, you know, the book of John, right, in the New Testament. So it takes them a minute to come across that learning curve to, to read the language and become familiar with it, just like you kind of would re really with any author. But because they don't immediately see a similarity to what they're used to reading in the scriptures, they just discount it and think that it's somehow weird and uses strange language and and then they'll try to find some sort of scholarly support that says well this book is invalid but yet like kim was saying people that are willing to <laughs> pay millions of dollars to have a private that's how much they believe it's valid yeah. is because people that have that kind of means and wealth and the elites want to hide this book and buy it so no one can study it 
in its full totality. That's why the part of the book that we have today is a collection of fragments that they've put together from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. It's, so, it's so interesting. Um, I, I get like so excited reading the book and talking about it. For people who are just watching the first time, can we just cover a, a couple of basic questions? First, who is Enoch and why is he important? And then some of the common, I've heard that this book is dangerous. Those are the exact words. So yeah. what are they talking about when they say that it's dangerous, you guys? Uh, please. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, what, what do people mean when they say it's dangerous? And what have you found um, as far as it holding up to the scriptures? So those three things. Yeah, so Enoch, who was Enoch? He was, we're told he was the seventh from Adam, so he would be considered a patriarch. Um, we only get a couple small verses in the book of Genesis um, that basically say that Enoch was a righteous man and he was taken. And that's pretty much it. We don't get really much more in the, in the, um, you know, in the book of Genesis pertaining to Enoch and just specifics on why he was so righteous and why he was taken and you know what the environment was in the area that he was taken so what do you mean by he was taken for people who don't know some i mean this can go into quite a long conversation some people believe he was taken up to heaven what we would call heaven but um as you may or may not be aware of uh the book of enoch describes kind of the biblical creation model in great detail so it's it's kind of hard to to say you know what that fully means based on what people are how they're understanding what that means but uh, what i mean is like he was taken as in removed from the earth but we we know that in the book of enoch itself as well as the book of jubilees and jasher which are other extra biblical books um, jubilees actually was found in the same caves as the book of enoch and the dead sea scrolls which is another really fascinating book that i, I believe people should get their hands on and study um, but it's it says that Enoch was taken. The father took him and put him in, in essentially paradise, the Garden of Eden during the time. It was still on the ground. And Sean and I discovered it's a, it's a very, quite frankly, it's a long discussion to have, but he was taken. Yeah. To it, Ken, I'm sorry. It, what, what I think what she was asking was when we use the word taken, um, this isn't like um, a lot of people use Hebrews chapter 11 to claim that it's verse five, that Enoch was taken. Therefore he did not see death. And they think that that immediately means that he never died and that he's still alive and that he's being preserved by God in heaven. And they and many people will try to conclude that he's one of the two witnesses that come back in Revelation 11. And without the book of Enoch and without the book of Jubilees, that's a plausible theory that people can come to because they're dealing with limited information. But once we got the book of Enoch and Jubilees, we see that it, it describes um, not only death and the resurrection in very distinct terms, that takes that theory I just mentioned and, and negates it because all men must die so we can be resurrected at the last day when the, when the Messiah returns um, on the day of the Lord. But there is a, it literally says in Jubilees 4.26, I think it's 4.26, that, that he was taken into the Garden of Eden, the one that Adam and Eve were kicked out of, because he was, he was so obedient to the Father in his lifetime. And that's what kind of promoted him, if you will, to this point of being a, um, interacting with the angels and all the stuff that we read about in Enoch and all the visions that he's had of the heavenly realms and of the Garden of Eden and interacting with angels and getting this message from mankind for the end days, that was the moment where he was taken from amongst men because he was cohabitating like everybody else with mankind. But it says over time he was withdrawing himself and then finally after, after a period of time because he was trying to follow after the ways of God and walk in righteousness, 
that he was taken from amongst men to literally kind of hang out with the angels. That way he could talk with the angels and they were showing him all these visions about what's going on in the future. And, you know, some of the heavenly realms, like we were talking about, like Kim mentioned, the biblical creation model, which is not the typical Christian mindset from the last hundred years of what people would think of when they think, oh, he was taken to heaven. They think he's taken to some other dimension, but that's not what the Bible explains. And that's not what the book of Enoch explains. So, um, yeah. Th thanks for that clarity, Sean. I appreciate that. That's yeah. There's a lot of confusion surrounding that him being translated and removed and all that. So yes. I, and I fully agree that the book of Enoch book of Jubilees definitely give us the answers to what that means. And actually Jubilees tells us that he died. Enoch actually physically died, just like all men do. So it debunks, Megan, this this concept that Enoch would be one of these witnesses that comes back, that somehow he's still in heaven, who, and he never died, when we don't actually see that in books like the Book of Jubilees, for instance, that straight out tell us that him and Elijah both die. So, okay. yeah. And when, when people say that this book is dangerous because it contradicts scripture, um, Tell me more about that and in, in what scriptures specifically people are talking about and what you've actually found in in your time studying. And how long have you guys been studying with Enoch, by the way? Myself, personally, I've been doing it for about four years. Sean and I have been doing it together for about maybe two, two and a half years. Um, so, yeah, uh, Sean, if you want to give her your answer there. Sure. Yeah. I've been studying for the book of Enoch since uh, 2013. And it's basically, um, I mean, I first read it back in like 2008, but as far as actually studying it and reading on a consistent basis and trying to find clarity and comprehension. And this, that's kind of the difference that we try to always talk about on our program is that just to read through So many people claim, Oh, I read through the Bible and it's stupid. You know, you're like, Oh, you read through it one time. Really? I've been studying it for 21 years. Since I was <laughs> since I was 18 years old, consistently reading it, and so and I'm still learning new stuff every day, and so and and I you know I read 600 words per minute and feel like I have fairly good reading comprehension skills. So for people, when I hear people say this all the time, oh, I've, I've read the Bible a couple times, I read it all the way through, and I'm like, okay, that's that's nothing. You just you just barely scratch the surface. Yeah. You probably can't even you know recite to me the first few lines in it. Um, and so this is the concept where us talking about studying the book for the last four or five years um, is already on top of Ken and I studying the Bible for more than 10 years each. And for me personally, 21 years. So this is where we even would have the foundation to know what we're looking at when it comes to Enoch, because Enoch is is using all this language that is talking about themes that we already see in the modern American canon of 66. And so uh, as far as what's dangerous in the book, that would be very subjective. I don't know exactly, you know, who's bringing that claim to you as far as which verse or passage they think is dangerous. Uh, one of the most common ones that we see is, um, I can't remember what chapter it is, but it just basically talks about the angels and the different jobs that they have. And one of the angels that mentions is, uh, is it Fanuel, Ken, that they claim, or is it? Yeah, Fanuel or Raphael. Yeah. Is it Raphael, the one who's set over the repentance of men? Yeah. That's the one that people always claim is that he's somehow taking away Jesus's job. <laughs> so, yeah. so basically, uh, Megan, the book of Enoch introduces, you know, Enoch as a character, right? Who he was in the genealogy. Same guy we see in Genesis chapter five. Yeah. It also introduces all these angels that Enoch is interacting with. And we get the names of these angels as well. 
And it, with each angel, like in chapter 20, it tells us their job functions. Yeah. So what these angels are tasked to do, which is very consistent with the scriptures themselves, that like in Hebrews 1.14, that tells us angels themselves are ministers to those who are inheriting eternal salvation. So I, this whole concept is that they, you know, the purpose of their creation is to serve the Almighty, the Creator, and He has jobs for them. And some of those jobs are over parts of the creation, like making sure the stars flow in their course in the firmament. Other parts is over, like it says in other passages, the hoarfrost uh, or the winds or, you know, the different components of the earth itself, um, because it's a huge creation model, as the Book of Enoch explains. In each job, there's a job given to angels. That's why I created millions and millions of them to help maintain, facilitate, and keep this creation model going um, because that's literally the job that was designed for them. And some of them have a job that interacts with mankind on a level of, like, the you know, mankind that needs to be dealt with in judgment. We see that guy mentioned, what was his name, uh, Rami, Ramiel? Ramiel, yeah. Ramiel, yeah, in chapter 20, Enoch chapter 20. He's the same guy that we see other apocryphal passages. Was it, is it uh, Second Baruch or Second Ezra? Second Baruch. Yeah, Second Baruch that tells us that's the angel that shows up in um, the days of Hezekiah where 185,000 Assyrians are killed overnight that were trying to siege Jerusalem. And so that, that's the angel that's introduced also in the book of Enoch. And he's a guy that has a job, and he goes and does that job later on in the canon. And I believe it's in the book of Second Kings. So um, also detailed in Isaiah. And so this concept is that um, just because an angel maybe and his, his job function is claiming that he's set over the repentance of men, that doesn't mean he's the Holy Spirit itself or that he's somehow the high priest, you know, Yeshua, our glorified Messiah, and somehow taking away any job function. Um, no, that just means he's there to affect and influence for positivity those who are going to repentance, right? And, of course, as Scripture teaches us, and even as the book of Enoch teaches us, we put our hope on the Son of Man, which is Yeshua of Nazareth, which is this the book of Enoch in chapter 48 and chapter 62 um, and a couple other places, but those are two big ones. It tells us that Jesus was with the Father before the creation began, but that he was concealed and hidden away to be revealed at the time that he was born of Mary, and that he was always destined to be the Son of, I mean, he's the Son of God, but he's always destined to be the Messiah from even before the world was created. So it's telling us that he, that the Almighty had a Son, right, that we know now as, as Jesus of Nazareth, as Yeshua, the, the Messiah, that the Almighty had a son, and they together created everything in the, in the beginning. And this whole concept is that the son was always destined to become the Messiah so that he could become our king and high priest and reconcile man back to God whenever corruption entered the game. As Romans 5.12 talks about, death entered through Adam, right? And so, because that's where sin came into the creation model and destruction started happening. So this whole concept is that... Um, while Jesus has a job now that he's a glorified man after the, his, his resurrection and ascension, the angels have always had a job that they're doing. And some of their job is over war. Some of their job is over uh, people that need mercy, people that need healing. Some of their job. Now, we, we don't really, Ken and I do not ascribe to Catholicism in any way. We believe that Catholicism is an offshoot of Christianity that started out from the Roman Empire that came to obfuscate and muddy the waters, if you will, of what is actually the way that's described in Enoch and the canon. And Catholicism puts too much importance and too much praise on angels, and we do not do that at all. That is something that even the book of Enoch does not do that, right? That's right. 
and this is something I just want to stress in case people are, you know, unfamiliar with with the difference between what the Bible teaches and what Catholicism teaches. And so they might be mixing the two in their brain. But just as a, you know, even though the Catholicism tries to say, oh, well, this is the patron saint of this or that, that's not exactly what Enoch is talking about. We, Enoch does not tell people to pray to angels. It does not say that angels are responsible or able to raise you from, you know, from the dead. Um, or the angels did not create you, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't make any of those claims. So to be honest, Megan, many of the claims that I've heard where people say the book of Enoch is dangerous, when I ask them what part is dangerous, rarely can they actually answer me. And then usually if they do finally give me an answer, it's something so far out of context. Not only does it reveal they haven't actually studied the book of Enoch, but they also haven't actually studied the Bible, the rest of the canon of 66, to even know how to discern between the two. And so that's where you know we've, we were so diligent to try to start this idea of testing the book live. So like, I mean, we're on screen and people can watch and rewatch it and watch us go through it and compare it piece by piece to the American canon of 66 to show people how much it does line up and how wonderful it really is. That's awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, Megan. And it's, I mean, Sean said it beautifully. Um, we've been ingrained, unfortunately, depending on what flavor, what denomination you're brought up in to shun these books, right? But when you actually step out of the box and you start just doing some research, you start to discover that not only do other traditions in the world, and what I mean by tradition is just other um, cultures um, in the world have their own canon you know, process that they go through and books that they have within their canon, but they've had these books for thousands of years and not and Jesus quotes from the book of Enoch. Jude, like verbatim, cuts and pastes. He, almost, he practically plagiarizes Enoch with some of the stuff he says in his very short one chapter epistle. So you have Isaiah. to go to that. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah 48. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, so, excuse me, Isaiah 49, verses one through five. Yeah. I think um, some things that I've heard is that it's very. Um, magical and that um, it uses astronomy and can you guys do you know what they're talking about when they say that or can you touch on that a little bit I mean in terms of the astronomy it does in in some of the latter chapters of the first Enoch it does show him being taken by the hand of the angel Uriel who is over the luminaries um, which is, as Sean was talking about earlier, these angels, like you said, have different job roles. This specific angel named Uriel, he kind of helps conduct the luminaries, the stars, um, which are placed within a certain firmament of heaven. And then there's an angel named Raguel who kind of polices them, making sure that if they transgress their orders, he goes and he deals with them. And Enoch tells us that there were, that there were stars that actually ended up transgressing their circuit in heaven, and he had to deal with them. And Jude mentions that. And so... I'm not sure exactly what, what the objections would be in terms of like it teaching astrology and all this other stuff, but it just shows the patterns that they do. It talks about how the, you know what I mean? Like it just reveals basically how they were created and what they're doing in creation. Right. So, and I think a lot of people don't realize that there actually is a very real, real spiritual realm here, like on earth. So it, like it says, you know, we're not battling flesh and blood we're, we're battling the principalities and, and spirits and that is very real although it seems it might seem silly to people who actually haven't read their bibles or studied but it's it, it's actually 
real. And so the book of Enoch goes into, you know, the, the fall, the fall of um, the angels and the Nephilim. Can you guys talk about that? Yeah. yeah, I think it's fascinating, Megan. A lot of people that when you really talk to them, they it, it's it's not like they don't believe in a spiritual realm. They, they love ghost movies, right? They love horror movies. They love things like that. They just don't like the Bible's description of it. <laughs> because because think about it. Like they'll talk about new age stuff all day long about connecting with the universe's energy and and uh, tapping into your tantric spirit and having your spirit guide. And I mean, they'll talk about all these new age concepts about these ideas from a uh, what the Bible will call a an evil, unclean spirit's perspective. And they they think that that's all fine and dandy. But when you start to go into the Bible and you say, oh. The Father created angels who are called spirits, but that that's a different type of creation, just like we're called mankind. But then there's these concepts that Enoch introduces with these unclean spirits that came into the to the game, so to speak. And the whole idea was that these rebellious angels, there was about 200 of them during the days of Jared, which was Enoch's what, great-grandfather? His father. They came his father yeah. yeah, his father. And they came down, these 200 watchers, and they actually rebelled. So they they went outside of their actual job function and they started interacting with mankind and they started taking women and, and having babies with them. And a lot of people, that's one of the arguments a lot of people have with Enoch is they say, well, angels can't, angels are not real beings, they're spirit beings. And that's where there's a misunderstanding in what an actual spirit being is as far as how scripture describes it. So like Jesus's resurrection body, remember he, he had Thomas try to touch this the scar on his side and look at the holes in his hands yet he sat there and he ate breakfast with them and he walked with them and he he talked with them and he you know what i'm saying he didn't want mary to touch him right after he was resurrected right because he says i haven't ascended to my father yet so these are very tangible concepts and jesus in luke chapter 20 and other places tells us that we'll be resurrected and made just like the angels at the resurrection so that's what jesus the type of body he has is like the type of body the angels has. It's something you can still grasp. You can still give it a hug. You can still give it a high five. You can still eat food and drink water, but you have more capability. You have a higher level of physics, if I could put it like that, of different chemistry to where you have more capability within this creation model. So that's hence the term perfected and glorified. So that's what the angels are created with in the very beginning on day one. And it even tells us to the point where they are males and they're circumcised. So when we read in the book of Enoch that 200 of these male angels come down to the earth and they see women and they think they're attractive because there's no women angels and they take women to make wives and they have children with them. And it says that the children and what is this Enoch 10 and Enoch 15, that the children that are with these wives, that they came from these angels, they're not normal because they were a hybrid that was never intended. So even though it was possible for angels to mate with a human woman doesn't mean it was intended. And so therefore the, the results, those children, which are called the Nephilim, the book of Enoch explains that those Nephilim persisted upon the earth and many of them were destroyed uh, over time leading up to the flood. And their disembodied spirits are what we call the unclean spirits in the Bible today. So when Jesus was walking around, he was kicking demons out of people. Those are the unclean spirits that came from before the flood in the days of Enoch, because their bodies were destroyed, but yet their spirits are unique. So this is kind of like Ken said, this kind of goes into a little bit longer conversation that, you know, I, I don't know how much time we have today, but in, in brief summary, it basically just tries to say that the, the offspring 
of these rebellious angels taking human women as wives and having kids by them, those kids um, were about to basically overpopulate regular mankind. So this was a big reason for the flood. That was creating chaos. They were um, mixing the species together, not just because they were giants and they were bigger, they were Nephilim, but because they were taking other species like birds and cattle and fish, and they were mixing them together in a hybridized way, destroying the creation and the land itself. So this was the actual reason for the flood was to stop what the Nephilim were doing on the earth and creating chaos and destruction and corrupting not just the literal physical creation, but also the hearts of men by leading them into idolatry and, and you know, keeping them from the productive ways of, of the creator. And so that was a, you know, in short, that's a reason for the flood. But after the flood, all their body, all these Nephilim bodies are dead, but their spirits are not like man. So there is not the same capacity, if you will. They can't go to heaven because they're not angel spirits. They're not man spirits. So they don't have the same type of uh, uh, holding cell and shield reserved for them. And this is what the book of Enoch talks about in great detail is that every man, when they die, goes to a place that's like a holding cell called Sheol to either await the resurrection or to await the judgment. But these Nephilim, they, they, there was kind of an in-between, right? So there wasn't the same option for them. And so this is where we read in both in the, um, the, book, of, um, uh, the book of Jubilees expounds upon this even more in chapter 10 about how Noah is having a conversation with the Almighty after the flood. And he's saying, hey, all these unclean spirits are still here. Their bodies are gone, but they're still here. And they're, and they're trying to, they're basically demons, right? These evil spirits. And they're trying to lead all my sons into wickedness again. And so um, it, there's like a conversation that happens between um, Azazel, who is this guy called Mastima in the book of Jubilees, which the book of Enoch introduces as Azazel, as the Satan character we see throughout the rest of scripture. And they're all having this conversation about these unclean spirits, about what are we going to do with them? And Azazel says, well, you need to give some to me so that I can test mankind with them and tempt mankind with them. And the Almighty says, well, okay, well, nine-tenths and 90% of them, I'm going to send to the pit of the earth. But 10% of them, I'm going to let you have control of them. And that's what happens. And that's where unclean spirits in the Bible even came from. Yeah, and exactly what Sean just described, Megan, is these are questions that I had in church. You know, where we because predominantly, I don't know, it's been my experience that you stick around in the New Testament usually. And so when I see, you know, Jesus casting out demons and stuff, and these demons talking to him, I had questions. I was like, hey, where, are these, where do these things come from? You know, they just didn't randomly appear, right? So the more you study, you know, the book of Enoch and Jubilees out, we get the, the answer straight up. And I'm of the conviction that the Father isn't going to just leave us with missing information regarding wickedness like demons, like their origins, how they came about, you know, who's in charge of them, what, what their future destination is going to be, right? And like, so this is another reason why I really, really believe that Enoch is a, a very important, valuable resource to, to have as a believer, Right, because we're dealing with the same type of spiritual entities in this world today as Yeshua did in the first century. So, yeah, well put, John. Well put, absolutely. And and as he really kind of um, iterated, uh, Genesis six is probably where some of these objections come from. Megan, um, the leading theory in many seminaries teaches this this theory called the Sethite theory, where the sons of God are only the the good righteous sons of Seth. And the daughters of Cain would be the wicked 
daughters apparently and they kind of co-mingled with each other and created these nephilim offspring somehow and so unfortunately that's that was is the predominant theory that's taught in these seminaries where these pastors are you know learning this stuff and coming out and, and propagating it in churches as they get jobs right so the unfortunately the um the minority uh i would say opinion of that is the sons of god are the angels we know that in, in the book of Job, they're referred to as angels. And in Enoch, straight out, we're told they're the angels. As Sean said, there was 200 of them, of, of the class called the Watchers. And they intermingled with the seed of man through women and created this hybridized offspring that needed to be dealt with. And so that is one of the, one of the bigger things that I've come across, Megan, is that, well, Genesis 6 isn't talking about angels coming and mating with men. It's, you know this other theory, the Sethite theory. That's not, that's not, that's a relatively new theory. Can I put you on the spot about that? How, how do you know that that is not the correct theory for people? People are going to be wondering that. Sure. The, the language itself in Genesis six literally tells us that. So even if we didn't have the book of Enoch and we're just going off the book of Genesis, okay. it literally says the sons of God in the Hebrew, that's Benaha Elohim. And that word is consistently used in Job 1 and 2 and also other places in Scripture. The same word, Benaha Elohim, speaking directly of angels of God. Okay. And that in the Genesis 6 says, They came and took daughters from among mankind that they found beautiful and had children by them. So it's literally in the wording. Yeah. <laughs> and then they create an offspring. You know? yeah, yeah. People be wondering, so I just wanted to address that. And yeah. also... Does um I don't I don't know which verse or chapter or bucket is off the top of my head, but it does talk about angels being chained down in a pit that are going to be let loose during the end time. So that's also biblical, and so that's Enoch also expanding on that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, I believe you're referring to in Revelation where we have these chimeric entities coming out of the bottomless pit with Apollyon, Abaddon, the beast. Um, the angels actually were told in the book of Enoch, which is another reason why we really need to you know, take a, a good look at this. It, it describes the angels as, as being given a judgment. As soon as these 200 watcher angels did what they did with, with mankind and created these hybrid entities known as the Nephilim, the men of old, these giants, they were judged. And they were immediately, well, first they had a 500-year period of watching their sons kill each other off. That was part of their judgment. They had to watch their sons do this. Once that took place, then the angels, um, I believe it's Raphael, Gabriel, Michael, they, they took those angels and placed them in chains in, in what's called Tartarus. Peter refers to it as Tartarus. But it's, it's a, a, a compartment within the, the greater shield, the pit. And they're chained there, on, and they're not coming out. That's, unfortunately, that's a theory I've heard, too, that they get to come out, and they're not coming out. They get judged on the day of the Lord, which is a whole other very, very important topic to discuss in great detail and the book of enoch talks about it unbelievably like right from practically verse one of chapter one he starts off with this this day of the lord this righteous generation that's gonna you know that these words that he's writing is for them that that are alive during the time of trouble and the time of trouble is essentially the day of the lord that generation leading up to that time so another reason why we'd really want to get our hands on these books because depending on you know what people believe you know they where they are in terms of the timeline eschatologically we're i believe we're nearing pretty much the end we're in the last days before yeshua is returning with his kingdom and these holy angels 
And so, and if I can jump in just real quick, I, just in case the viewer isn't aware of what the term "day of the Lord" is, that's what you're describing. There is the return of Yeshua, is the return of, the, of Christ, the day yeah. of the Lord, all throughout Scripture, and, and started literally the first chapter book of Enoch is the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Yeah. So this is what's that's what we're talking about by that term. Yeah, yeah, and I apologize for you viewers. Um, Sean and I were just this is such a common discussion that we have that uh, we I throw it around as if everyone really knows what we're talking about half the time. But I apologize for that. But yeah, Megan, this is why um, the Book of Enoch is very, very important for us to to understand and and to study out and to see exactly, you know, if it lines up with the scriptures. And Sean and I are are, are determined to um, help people get to that point so that they can answer these objections that other people have that clearly haven't studied the book, but the the book's good. The book is, is good. And we believe that I'm confident in saying that it's scripture. I believe that Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah quoted things from it. Um, all the apostles practically did Paul Jude quotes verbatim. Yeah. It's good enough Paul, for was it first Timothy, uh, first Timothy six verse 16, Paul talks about, um, how the Almighty dwells in unapproachable light. Well, we see that in Enoch chapter 15. But we don't see that anywhere else in Scripture. Yeah. Have you guys read any Apocrypha and tested it against Scripture and you found that it doesn't line up? Like, are there any Apocrypha that, you read that you're, you're, you're firm in saying this is not, uh, this is not real or inspired? Yes, the books of 2nd and 3rd Enoch. <laughs> yeah. So there, there. That's right. There are three books of Enoch. So how do people? Well, there's, there's three claimed books of Enoch. There's three, there's three books that people have given the title of first, second, and third Enoch. We've only found the concept of first Enoch to be valid. Yeah, the, the second and the third one, I believe, are you, are you? They're put in there to throw off the scent of the real Enoch from getting people to really study it and and see the validity and inspiration of it. Because you can clearly tell when you read second and third Enoch, this is just this is that. You know, esoteric Gnostic garbage. Yeah. What about Jubilees and Jasher? <laughs> Jubilees, like I said, I believe it was the sixth. So Enoch was number three in terms of how many manuscripts were found at the Dead Sea Scrolls out of the hundred thousands of fragments that were found. Jubilees was number six. So it's it's it was one of those books that was readily available and was, you know, it, I believe it was on par with what we would call canon that these these people believed it and consider it scriptures the ethiopian coptic church today believes it and has for thousands of years um they had, they had another, canon for thousands of years that's right yeah yeah, yeah. that's how, one if how far back to the fragment state do you guys know what's that how far back to the fragment state that they found do you know or well that's that's the the issue um megan that a lot of people have and that's in my opinion that is how we're trained to actually discredit things is because they say, okay, well, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It has the Book of Enoch in it. But the Book of Enoch itself, the only the earliest manuscript that we date back is the 2nd century BCE. Therefore, it's got to be fake. It couldn't have been written by Enoch. But people don't know the history of Israel. And they don't realize that there was a time period where they were invaded by Assyrians and Babylonians and everything was burned. So during the second temple period, after the returning exiles from Babylon, and they were building Jerusalem again and rebuilding the temple in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, there's a prophet, or there's a scribe, 
that was tasked, his name was Ezra, and he had some buddies with him, and they were tasked to rewrite all these books to restore them because most of the manuscripts have been burned. So it's no wonder that all these apocryphal books date back to the 2nd and 3rd century BCE as best as, the, as they can determine because all the original ones have been burned by the invasion, invading uh, nations and armies. Does that make any sense? Yes, this is so interesting to make. Listen yeah, to this. so this is, this is like just some of the history that, because no one really, let's be honest, uh, no one really reads the middle of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, exactly. that's, that's the problem is that this story was told to us that what happened to these manuscripts, and it's actually, I can't remember the specific verse right now off the top of my head, but there's, um, was it in 4, four Ezra, Ken, that talks about that, which is the prophet Ezra? Yeah, second Ezra's it's it's the the latter chapters. Um, it talks about how many books they restore, like 104 books or something like that. No, it was like 207 or 100. There was like 194. Yeah, there's a ton of books, more than in the canon. But but the reason they had that is because they claimed like um, First and Kings would have just been one book, where we have broken it up into First and Second Kings. Uh, same thing with First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. So they just view that as one big book, but we've broken it up into two parts, basically. So that's it kind of increased the numbers a little bit. But the whole point is there was a time period in history before before Christ came that the nation of Israel was being invaded by surrounding nations and all their records and all their their scrolls for their what they considered scriptures. They were burned and destroyed uh, for the most part. And only, um, you know, single or singular copies were carried with them in, in the exile in Babylon. So when they got back and they're reestablishing the nation, they started making copies again. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why when scholars come in, scholars who don't believe the Bible to be true, they come in and say, oh, well, see, the, the earliest copy we've got is from the second or third century BCE. It can't be real. It can't be truly the words of Enoch himself. It's just it's just some some guy in Jerusalem that's just making up fanciful fiction. Yeah. But that's not how scholarship works. <laughs> see what I'm saying? But that's some of the claims you get from people uh, because they're just wanting to discredit because they don't they haven't taken the time to study their actual Bible to understand what they're reading in Enoch. So, for example, there's a, another apocryphal um, collection of books that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls called the uh, Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And that one also is dated back to 2nd century BCE, um, but it was also found in 1947 amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in those, in those, in those books, right, because each book is one of the Twelve Patriarchs of Jacob, right? Levi, Reuben, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, all those guys, guys that we don't really hear from a lot in Genesis, so this, these collection of books is their testimony on their deathbed and what they're telling their children on their deathbed, basically. And in almost like almost all of them in their, in their testament, because there's 12, 12 brothers, right? 12 sons of Jacob. So almost all of them it say, oh, by the way, and we read this or I'm teaching you these things because we read this in the book of Enoch. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So you've got other apocryphal books claiming quotations from patriarchs that they read the book of Enoch. And then you've even got the book of Jubilees that also talks about how Abraham was given the books of his fathers from Shem and Noah. Wow. And he passed those on down to Levi. So these are the books that they would have had with them when they came out of Egypt in the Exodus. Yeah, it's really weird, Megan, that we've bought this narrative that, um, you know, these patriarchs didn't have a clear-cut understanding of things that we know today. You know what I mean? Like, so as Sean, as you were saying, buddy, third, I think it was the, the third century BC is the, the earliest manuscript they have for Enoch. I could be wrong. I think it was the third, if I recall, but 
you know, common sense would tell you that because we know that Enoch was the seventh from Adam, if he's going to, and this, which is interesting is the book of Jubilees tells us that Enoch was the first one to start writing things down. Um, if Enoch was writing stuff down, I mean, depending on what he was using, parchment, papyrus, whatever, he, like that stuff decays over time, right? Like it's just, there has to be written copies of these things. So just like Sean was saying, that argument that all we have is maybe the third century BC. Um, so it can't be, it can't be the real original one. Like there's no, how can you prove that? If they're, if they're just making copies all the way from when he originally made his copy, right? Like it just, it doesn't make sense. It just, it makes yeah. sense that there's going to be copies that aren't going to be as old. You know what I mean? We do the same thing with books today. They have to be restored over time. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. don't, don't realize that, that in the Bible itself holds up so much stronger historically as a reliable historical source than many other books that we don't even think twice about questioning the reliability of. That's right. You know? Yeah, what's funny is, like, let's take the book of Deuteronomy, for example. People would never, ever claim that shouldn't be in the book, right? They would never claim that that's not scripture, yet no one technically knows who wrote it. It wasn't Moses, but no one technically knows who. They just claim it was a book of Moses, but it talks about Moses' death <laughs> at the end of it. And then there's verses <laughs> after his death being written. And, yeah, and after his death. So like, not writing no from the dead. Knows. So that, that argument just falls apart when you really start to look at these things as far as we, we can't just immediately give validity to a scroll just because some guy says, well, it's only dated to here. So that must be when it was written. Like, the, again, we have to remember where this critique is coming from. Is this coming from people that are trying to discredit the scriptures or actually trying to take an honest look at them? So that was our whole premise when we did Honor of Kings was, look, we can we can debate for days on the actual academic historicity of some of these scrolls and where they came from um, and what they say about each other. And as far as how we feel who we're going to trust on who's validating them, are we trusting the, um, you know, the scholars that found them with the Dead Sea Scrolls to validate them? Or are we trusting some other Oxford can, you know, Oxford company of men that say, oh, well, those aren't as valid as the ones that we have from the second century? Like, who are we trusting? And that's the whole point is, what does the book itself say? Let's, so let's forget what men with letters in front of their names try to, try to make you think whether it's valid or not. Let's just look at the book itself. Let's line it up to what the Bible that we have in front of us says. And if they match, then we've got something to consider. If they don't match, you see what I'm saying? So this is, the, this is the, in my opinion, the big uh, trap. This is the pitfall that people fall into when they even encounter an apocryphal book that's not in our current Bible. Um, not only do they not realize that a book like Enoch is in other people's Bibles, not in this country, and if they'd have grown up in that country, they'd never would even question it. You right. see what I'm so not only are they not thinking about that, but even with even at the mindset they do have, our, our challenge to people is look, let's look at what it actually says, and then let's test what it actually says to the Bible that we have in front of us. That's our best way to, to figure out, is this thing valid? Because as we know in Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet claims something and that doesn't come true, or there's no second or third witness, right, from other prophets, because all the prophets are continually repeating themselves over and over and over. They're talking about the day of the Lord, <laughs> like a ton, a ton, and they're talking about how to encourage people to follow the commandments of God. Like they were constantly repeating themselves, and they, therefore they pass the two tests of a prophet given to us in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. Enoch does that in spades. 
not only does it encourage you to keep the commandments of God and the ways of, of righteousness and to not do lawlessness, but it also talks about prophecy that all the other prophets also talk about. And I think it's just a, it's a travesty when people discount it because they just don't read it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Megan, I don't know where you want to go with the rest of the segment, how much time you have left, but things like, you know, when, when Jesus talks about the ignorance of the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees coming up to him and asking him about like, you know, this resurrection, which they didn't believe in. He gives, they give him this, you know, egregious scenario. And then he responds to them saying, you guys don't know the scriptures because in the resurrection, you're going to be like the angels in heaven who neither marry or, or are given in marriage, right? They're for, they don't, they don't die. They're the sons of God. And so he, he says, they're the scripture. You guys don't know the scriptures. And the only content where it talks about angels and what we become at the resurrection is in the book of Enoch and in second Baruch. I haven't seen it anywhere else. That's right. So he, he is using what we would believe is the Enochian writings to make claiming their scriptures and, and showing how foolish these Sadducees were to come up with this scenario because they were supposed to be this religious elite during the day and teaching men, right? The, the scriptures and they didn't even themselves understand the resurrection and the fact that we're going to be made angels according to the book of Enoch. So we get the words of our Messiah who was also in the book of Enoch for many chapters referred to as the elect one, the righteous one, the son of Adam, all these titles that we see in the new Testament you know, when she was walking around in the first century, you know, he, he's got all these titles that they had to only know from books like Enoch, because we don't see some of these titles in the rest of what we would call the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Once again, it venerates, in my opinion, the validity and authenticity and inspiration of the book. Yeah, this is, this is great, you guys. And um, it's got me really excited to start watching your show. <laughs> So you guys talk about this. What? How often do you do your show? Is it once a week or once a month or how often? Yeah, it was once a week. Yeah, we just finished season one, uh, so we did what twenty episodes, twenty one episodes, and um, we're working on season two. So it's going to be a couple months before the premiere of season two. But all all of season one is is on Kingdom of Context for anyone to watch at any time. Okay, and that's on YouTube. You said. On, yeah, on YouTube, Kingdom and Context is the name of the YouTube channel, and the name of the series is called Honor of Kings. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So I'll have you send that to me so I can put it in the. I'll put it in the main post here too, so we can just. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you the the playlist, and they can just just start with episode one. We've had, we actually have people uh, message me all the time that they find the show. They never heard of us, but they find the show because they're researching Enoch on YouTube. And they run across the show, and they just start binge watching it. Yeah, how could they not? Like I could yeah. talk about this, or listen to you guys talk about it all day. Cause you're just so knowledgeable, and it's so exciting and interesting. And um, is there anything else that you want to talk about or touch on before we jump off? Or I, w I would just say for those who are on the fence as to whether or not to touch these books, I would say there's no harm. There's really there's no harm. Get out of the box that you've been placed in since birth and look around right like how i discovered or decided to even test these these books was seeing the the glaring obvious quotes that were being made in like i said jude where he's quoting verbatim saying that enoch the scribe says this prophesied this the lord will come with ten thousand of his angels right and he goes on to quote from enoch 
And I'm thinking, okay, how does he know this? And I was told growing up that, well, he was just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he was just given this random knowledge that isn't actually written down. It was just a a quote that Enoch probably said, but didn't write down. But the more you, (laughs) you test the scriptures and you see, no, 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 no. There was a book called Enoch and it's been around for thousands of years. And it's just, it, it, it becomes obvious the more you study, the more you press in. So that's, that's my suggestion to those who are interested or who are on the fence. Like I said, continue studying and test it out yourself. Don't believe what we're saying here. Go to the book, pick it up and see if it lines up with what you understand and comprehend in the books of the 66 canon, which we refer to as. So that's, that's what and- I have to say. Hey Megan, real quick, are you have you uh, studied the biblical creation model? As far as as the shape of the earth, how the Bible describes the shape of the oh, earth. I sure have. Yep. Okay. All right. So, um, so if if you'll just give me like two or three minutes, I'm going to do a quick, brief Cliff Notes summary okay. of just some of the Book of Enoch, and this could be why. The <laughs> there's so much antagonism against it. So remember, as we already talked about, how um, Enoch introduces where unclean spirits came from. Okay, so this is what everyone who's a believer in Christ and has read the New Testament would call demons, and everyone would agree that demons work wickedness and are against truth and want you to be confused, sick, and dead. Right? This is their purpose. So the Book of Enoch tells us where they came from, and that they're real. This is why in an atheistic, materialistic mindset that we see prevalent in our culture today, people claim, oh, demons aren't real. That's just made up. It's just psychosomatics, right? You're just, you're just making it up in your head. Yet we've got validation in a very real description of their origins and their purpose, which validates the New Testament's claims of them. So these same spirits that work wickedness and confusion in the earth don't want you to know that they're real. <laughs> so they don't want you to read about where they came from, right? That's just one idea. So let's look at the day of the Lord, right? Which is the very first chapter of Enoch. That's something where all the earth is going to tremble in terror because the people that work wickedness are going to be judged at that point. They don't want you knowing that they've been talking about the day of the Lord since before the flood. The day that, like in Enoch 62 and 63, where it literally says the kings of the earth are going to be dragged before the Messiah and judged and put in chains and and killed, right? They don't want, the demons don't want you to know that Enoch 54 says that when the Messiah returns, he's going to put them in chains and they're going to be destroyed and thrown in the lake of fire. So they don't want you knowing about their destruction and their end that's been prophesied since way, way back in the day. All right, let's look into chapter two. You got the beginning. Sean, if I can, let me just jump in real quick and and then you finish up. I would say they also don't want people knowing who their master is by name. I was getting there, but you're right, bro. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. I I wasn't sure for you. Yeah, but uh, because I didn't want to make this too long. I mean, because, but I'm not going to give you a chapter by chapter breakdown, but just a quick summary. Um, But we've got beginnings of explanations of of the description of what was created and where we live starting right in chapter two. So we know how they've tried to hide that information in the last 150 years mm-hmm. and obfuscate that and how many Christians are confused about what the actual canon of 66 already describes as our creation where we live with 500 different verses. You see what I'm saying? So 
uh, and then like chapters, what chapters, what 20, 22, all the way through 33, you just got more exposition about the description of the creation model and the different layers of the firmament and the garden of Eden itself and the tree of life. It gives you the actual tree that was the tree of life. It tells you what it is and it's relevant to Yeshua's triumphant entry, entry in the gospels. It's also relevant to the antichrist. But I mean, that's a whole nother study. We did a whole episode on that, right? So like all this information um, about these huge concepts that the enemy would want you to be confused about and hide, they're all laid out systematically in the book of Enoch. And that's as you were asking earlier about the, the astronomical concepts. It's, it's only the term astronomical from the, that person's objection, the way they're asking that is only from their heliocentric mindset, which is not what the Bible describes anyway. If they were taking seriously what the Bible describes and what Enoch describes, and they're reading chapters 70 through 82, they're just realizing, oh, he's explaining how the actual house that he made and the clockwork of the sun and the stars above us and how that works. He's explaining how that works because it's like a clock. So like this whole concept, all these, these big ideas are laid out and fleshed out in great detail, including the name of Satan himself is given to us in the book of Enoch from chapters 8 through 15. So yeah. it's like all these huge things that the enemy will want to hide and, and leave you in the dark about so that he can get huge portions of the population into a materialistic, non, um, a non-religious mindset of thinking that, oh, all that is just BS and just made up for control and power and that um, this stuff is not relevant. We're in a real world. We're in a, you know, we're on a ball in space in a materialistic world that, um, that is just all about physics and science and math. And that there is no enemy, there is no devil, there is no, you know, there is no God, there's no creator. This is this is that kind of mindset that we see so many people gravitating to in our current culture. Yet all of that stuff is addressed and debunked, and it all vener and from Enoch, and Enoch, as it talks about those things, venerates what the Bible already says about those things. So to me, after we studied it in great detail, it was more than obvious why people would want to hide this book or would want to discourage others from reading it. Because yeah. it gives away the enemy's plans, it gives away the enemy's deceptions, and it and it shines light on so many different places where Scripture itself has already been doing that. But it's just Enoch fleshes it out, I guess, in much more detail, so it's easier to understand. Yeah, I just want to say um, before we hop off that everything that I was so confused about, I grew, actually grew up Catholic, and um, it's like what what you're taught from the Bible and what you or learn in public school, they're two totally different things, and the things that you learn in school make you question the Bible's validity so much, just the science and space and all of that. But once I read the book of Enoch, it's like everything just made sense. You know, as, 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 as crazy as it might seem and all the things that you see happening in this book, it actually made everything make sense. And when you just take the Bible at its word for what it's saying, Everything makes sense. The more that you listen to the government and what they're trying to tell you, it, the more confused you become. Just, just read it. Just read it. Just read it. That's what I would say to people. Yeah. Yeah. Read Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Thank you guys so very much um, for doing this. This was awesome. I, I, like I said, I could listen to you all day. And um, for people watching, if you want to listen to them more, I'm going to put their YouTube link in here so you can check out the rest of their videos. And if they have any questions, can they tag you below? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, we'll do our best. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, because we both have channels, we get a lot of questions. 
Okay. We'll, we'll do our best. We'll do our best to answer as many as we can. Okay, great. All right. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate this. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.